This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into another fine episode of the Swamp 247 podcast, the first in quite a while. Uh, my name is Jacob Rudner, alongside Swamp 247 staff writer Graham Hall. Uh, we took a break a little bit from the podcast. Florida's football season ended on November 25th with a loss to Florida State, uh, and we took some time to rejuvenate, uh, to gather our thoughts before we returned to the show. And now is that time. We are officially back. Uh, today is Tuesday, December 13th, uh, and I will just start how we usually do. Graham, how are you, uh, and and how have things been since the, fo- the uh, football season ended a couple weeks ago? Oh, I, you know, as you said, we took a little bit of a break from the podcast, but plenty of content up on Swamp 247. We've been following all the transfers, which is what we're going to talk about here today. The NFL-bound players, the graduates, really Florida's roster turnover since the end of the season has been well-documented on Swamp 247 and pretty prolific, if you ask me, second most SEC transfers right now behind Texas A&M. I think many people expected attrition. Maybe some people didn't expect this much this soon because it's left Florida in kind of an interesting situation heading into the bowl game, which is what we're going to talk about in another episode of the podcast that you can check out tomorrow when that drops. Today, we're recording this Tuesday afternoon, and we're going to talk a little roster turnover because as you mentioned, there's been a break from the podcast, but no break from the news. We've been covering it all. And now we have to, I think, dissect it a little bit, what it means for the Gators. Yeah, you uh, you did my job for me. If uh, the, the thing that brought us out of hibernation here was Florida's uh, evolving, you know, still ongoing roster situation. We knew that this was something that was coming. For those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a couple of weeks now, uh, or even if you follow Florida, you remember the dismissal of Brenton Cox uh, the day after Florida lost to Georgia in Jacksonville in late October. Uh, and after that, Billy Napier you know, became very public in his thoughts on how uh, Florida was in need of a cultural overhaul. It was in need uh, of an overhaul in terms of who it had on its roster and how it fit schemes that this new staff uh, wanted to implement. And as such, we would see a a considerable amount of attrition. And that has happened. We are at 25 players uh, who are not expected to be a part of Florida's roster come 2023 uh, between guys who were dismissed, you, you know, Brenton Cox, uh, and, and others, Dewan Black was was another one who was dismissed, uh, and a whole bunch of guys who have entered the portal, as well as draft uh, entrants. So the, that makes up the group. Uh, Graham, I think broadly, let's talk first about the impact of the guys who are leaving, and, and let's include uh, draft prospects and, and what they did. And, and where does Florida get hit hardest by the guys who are choosing to leave? Uh, and, and where might it be the hardest to recoup some of that talent and, and rebuild towards the future? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I think when you talk about Florida for right now, heading into this postseason game, when you, you start with the guys heading to the NFL draft, I mean, obviously losing your quarterback and Anthony Richardson can lower the ceiling for the offense, just knowing what he could do on the ground. You move to a quarterback in Jack Miller, who has a unique skill set, yes, and has some speed with his legs as well, but is not maybe the dynamic athlete that Anthony Richardson showed that he could be over the last three years, especially this year in Gainesville. And then you talk about starting right guard Osiris Torrance, who many people, I think, expected this guy to head to the NFL after the dominant season that he had. But he may not be the only Florida offensive lineman to depart. You look at Richard Garage heading to the NFL draft as well. Ethan White and Kingsley Egwakon have some interesting decisions to make. And who knows what happens with Michael Tarquin. This could be a completely overhauled Florida offensive line next year. For a unit that was fairly impressive this year, only allowed, what, 15 sacks this season, ranked 16th in FBS football in rushing, improved from last year, uh, a little over 207 yards per game. That's my first thought, is that this offense is not going to be able to run the ball as well next year as they did this year, and especially even in this bowl game. Uh, then, then I think you look at defensively, they didn't have much depth on the interior of the defensive line, and now you lose the guy who played the most snaps at the position in, I think, all of college football in Javon Dexter when you talk about percentage of snaps for his team. I mean, that's a guy who who was in there the majority of the time for Florida, had a standout season, and that's three guys I just mentioned right there, Richardson, Osiris Torrance, and Javon Dexter, who could be you know three top 50 picks in the upcoming NFL draft. That is absolutely a possibility. And I think honestly, it's something that is pretty rare for a team that goes six and six. It just, I think speaks to how much talent those guys possess and none of them have exhausted all of their eligibility. So a very interesting situation where they have players with potential who are going to leave the fold as well, along with the abundance of transfers. And I think it's going to lower the ceiling for Florida uh, immediately. Absolutely. The transfers and the players departing the roster since the season ended, I think it. most of them speak to, let, let me say this, often when you see players leaving, people think that it speaks to a cultural problem or a lack of belief in the leadership. And, and that's not the case here whatsoever. These right. are just guys that didn't see their future at Florida or the Florida program didn't necessarily see a future with them, whether it was schematics or whether it, from a talent standpoint, which is always the case when you're talking about power five programs. So we've said this time and time again, a lot of the attrition is going to be expected. And in a lot of cases is going to be appreciated in a sense, even. And I think that that is the way to look at a lot of these players, guys who didn't have a massive impact on the team. They're going to look for homes elsewhere. And I think many of them will be, you know, mid-major schools of a little bit lower caliber than Florida. And, while it leaves Florida a little bit shorthanded in the meantime, it's all about how you respond to that and get guys in that you do want to have in, in your program. And that process has to happen a little bit later. They're kind of in the middle right here where guys have left and they haven't really filled those depth spots right now with quality players. So Florida is just depleted overall. But I, I think, you know, it's important to say that it's not really indicative of a massive problem at, at the university because, uh, you know, that's just the day and age that we are in rather than, you know, transfers indicating an unhealthy program. It's a sign that the coach and, and his staff are adamant that an overhaul is necessary. And I think you kind of have to sit back and see how that all unfolds until you really kind of draw any conclusions about the process. Yeah, I mean, I think it's far from a problem. And, and I think that we've established that on the podcast before. You know, we've had conversations about how, 
this team needed a, a restart and this team needed uh, you know, a certain percentage of its roster to kind of disappear in order to really set it on the right track or at least give it a chance uh, to get going in the right direction. And we're seeing that. I think that there are areas where Florida is left thinner. You mentioned one of them. I think offensive line uh, becomes not an area of concern, but an area of focus, certainly, if you're going to pay attention to how successful Florida is in its offseason. Offensive line is, a, is an area you have to watch. I think that offensive line recruiting at the high school level has been fine. The Roderick Kearney flip was was definitely impressive, but outside of, of Kearney, it's fine. Uh, I think that they left a little bit to be desired in that regard. So then you wonder how will they perform in transfer portal recruiting at the position. And that becomes especially important when you have a guy like Osiris Torrance, who's leaving eligibility on the table to potentially be a, you know, a, a day one or day two draft pick. Uh, you have a guy, you know, in Richard garage who is choosing to move on to the professional ranks, which personally surprised me a little bit. Uh, I, I honestly thought that he would benefit from a sixth year at the college level, uh, maybe give himself a, a better chance uh, of moving up a little bit in the draft, if not, you know, staying even at a minimum. Uh, he is, he's out. And so Florida's offensive line is looking much more inexperienced next year. If you compare them side by side after a very good season. So how do they replenish that depth? I think is a big, uh, question mark as we get deeper into the off season. And it, it brings me to our next subject, which is Florida's strategy in, in building up from this loss. You're, you're looking at a situation where when all is said and done, about 40% of the team's total scholarship roster from 2022 will not be on the team in 2023. Uh, that is a huge number to, to have to recuperate. Uh, where does it leave Florida? What, what, what needs to be going through their mind, in your opinion, as they navigate this process in order to best set themselves up for success? I think it speaks to how critical this offseason is. And, and like I said, we'll see a little bit more here as it gets further into the offseason how that fares because right now i think it really is tough to get uh, a sense of how well they're doing right now if you look at some of the offers that have gone out how they've hosted some transfer guys i think that they've they've made some good moves absolutely but i think you need to make uh, a higher amount of those moves moving forward and that's not to you know speak to a criticism think about the balance that i think the coaching staff is undertaking right now you're in a period, and this is why you see coaches time and time again talk about transfer portal windows and looking at the regulations and maybe even having a mid-year signing day. There's all these types of ideas thrown around because this postseason stretch, the three weeks from the end of the regular season to early signing day, is so jam-packed with trying to lure in high school prospects, recruit on the transfer portal, and if you're a team like Florida that's playing a really early bowl game, December 17th, a very early one, you're trying to balance getting the most out of those practices that you're going to get. You're not going to get 15 that, that you desire to get, and you're not going to really practice, you know, after the bowl game. So you're cramming everything into this, you know, two and a half week slate where often you're going to be on the road, you know, Monday, Friday, the weekend, it's a seven day, 24 seven thing for the Florida coaching staff right now. They're obviously not the only one, but I think that sometimes transfer portal targets, may fall a little bit by the wayside right now. And maybe that's the unfamiliarity with the transfer you know, landscape right now with the windows and everything else that goes into that, the constant changes. But I think that you have a staff that is really pushing to sign a top 10 class while trying to get the most out of 
the bowl practices and trying to offer transfer portal targets. I mean, there is a lot going on right now. I wouldn't be surprised if after the bowl game and after signing day on December 21st, you really see those transfer portal numbers pick up at a, at a considerable level. I think that obviously there's something to be said, and I know you're going to touch on this, about making sure that you identify the top tier guys early, make them a priority before really other teams can come in. And then you start to get into this best offer betting war in a sense here. I think that there's obviously something to be said about that. But for this Florida coaching staff, I think that they've been unable to necessarily prioritize an abundance of transfers. They they have prioritized a good bit, but I think you may see that process come right after early signing day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, it will need to. It will need to pick up. Uh, what you referenced, and I, I'll, I'll touch on it, I, if you are active on our message board. And again, you know, I definitely would encourage everybody who's not already uh, to head on over to swamp247.com. Subscribe. You can get an annual VIP membership with us right now and access to Paramount Plus for 50% off until I believe January 2nd off the top of my head. But you should check the site to uh, make sure I'm right about that. Uh, And uh, yeah, you know, 50% off gets you access to our message board uh, all of our VIP content. One of the things that I was talking about on our message board recently, uh, and I will share with the folks on the podcast, is there is a, a a pothole, a danger, an obstacle in the recruiting process that can plague teams in which they get too invested in pursuing what would be called a tier A prospect. So your top choice prospect at any given position, you would categorize that person as tier A. And there are teams that will invest an unbelievable amount of resource into pursuing that prospect. Uh, And what ends up happening is teams will either neglect to a degree or ignore completely the tier B. And whether that means offering tier B prospects later or not paying as much attention to them early on in the process so as to put more eggs in the tier A basket Uh, If you miss out on a tier A prospect and you haven't recruited tier B well, you get stuck with tier C or tier D prospects. And that is how you run into long-term problems is by not adequately padding the bottom to mid-tier of your class with adequate tier B prospects for when you inevitably do not land everybody in your top category. Uh, I'm not suggesting that Florida has done that. I'm not saying that Florida is guilty of ignoring... uh, lower tiers on the totem pole and putting themselves in a position where they might need to scramble for tier C or bottom level tier B prospects uh, when all is said and done. But it is something to watch. You know, with every new staff, there are things to pay attention for to make sure that they are heading in the right direction or recruiting the right way. Uh, And this is one of those things. And I think it is easier 
in today's day and age of recruiting, where the transfer portal is as robust as it is, uh, to track things like that. And so I think that Florida fans should be prepared uh, and armed with the knowledge that there are things to watch for. And that will be one of them uh, as we get deeper into the offseason. Uh, one guy, Graham, who we will talk about, uh, you know, usually if you're paying attention to our YouTube page, uh, you've noticed the commit breakdowns where myself and, and Swamp 247 recruiting analyst, uh, Blake Alderman, we go through what Florida's getting in its latest high school commit. Uh, Florida has a, a, a different type of commit. Caleb Banks, a defensive lineman from Louisville, uh, committed to Florida after finishing up an official visit on Sunday. Again, today's Tuesday, December 13th. Uh, it's it's Florida's first uh, transfer edition of the 2023 offseason. And I guess I'll, I'll defer to you, Graham. Uh, what, what do you see in a guy like Banks? What does this do for Florida? Uh, you know, also just broadly to get on the board. Uh, what does that mean for the team? I think getting on the board is obviously impressive. I, I think that often you want to make a splash with your first few additions. You obviously want them to, you know, set the tone for what you're going for, set the standard even, I think you could say. And you saw me talk about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about FSU, the importance of what the transfer portal was for Mike Norvell last year, getting Micah Pittman before the season was even over and, and getting Jared Verse a guy who was monumental for them this season, you have to land high quality guys. And I think that also versus a good lesson that just because a, a player didn't play at a top school, sometimes they're an, from an FCS school like verse, they can still be an impact player. So there is something to be said, I think at waiting to see how they pan out. But when it, you look at banks, I obviously have a few questions about him. I, I think he could be extremely talented and a valuable addition for Florida. I'm a little bit, and we talked about this the other day, I'm a little bit uncertain how he's going to be used at Florida. I think that that is a pressing question, and I'm interested to see in spring how that is answered. Also doesn't have an abundance of reps under him. Um, that always, I think, you know, could be a double-edged sword in a sense, not to use a, a cliche in a way, but I, I think that you, you know, get a guy who's healthy, hasn't played an abundance of reps. They have a chance, you know, they're hungry to contribute, but you also really haven't seen what they do over, you know, a, a body a game, a whole entire game's worth. I, I just started talking about Javon Dexter here in the beginning of the podcast and how many snaps he played. Well, that's one of those questions, I think, for a guy like Banks that remains to be seen. Is this someone that you can play, uh, consider who can play a considerable role for Florida next year along the defensive line? I don't know. I think that's something that is going to have to be answered. Obviously, getting him on campus early can increase the potential of that happening or at least giving Florida an answer, whether it's capable or not, so that they can come up with a contingency plan. But I think that absolutely, that's a guy who, in the limited snaps that he had at Louisville, to answer the question, I do think there was a lot to like there. Was able to get, I think, what four pressures on just twenty-two reps. I mean, I mean, that's a really impressive number. If that translates long term, you're getting a guy who has the ability to pressure the quarterback and disrupt the play call, and seems to be a smart, intelligent player. It looked like that there were a lot of teams that were after Banks once he entered the transfer portal, and I think that also speaks to a little bit more than anything we can say. If programs want you and they're targeting you in the early December window when they could be prioritizing highly rated recruits, I, I think that that speaks to the importance and the caliber of player for that that prospect. So I think, you know, jury is, is out right now, but it's hard to knock that move when you look at the potential, you look at the, the caliber of prospect, there are just a few questions that I think need to be answered. But for a defensive line that has lacked depth 
if they can combine him with Desmond Watson and Chris McClellan and, and maybe make some other additions here and get some of the promising freshmen that they have in this class on campus, you know that they've also prioritized the defensive line in the 2023 cycle. If they can get all these guys on campus, it absolutely could be a better unit next year, but certainly some things have to go right for that to happen. You mentioned bank statistics, you know, some really impressive underlying numbers, not a lot of experience, uh, which is interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a gamble of a prospect. There isn't a lot to go off of outside of how he looks and, and the limited statistics that do exist. Uh, but you're never going to say no to six foot seven and 310 pounds at, you know, along your defensive line. Uh, what's interesting to me with, with banks is where does the team end up really playing him? And I, I think I say that that way because he says that the, the, the coaches told him that they foresee him playing three, four and five technique, which is essentially the position Jervon Dexter, uh, played for Florida this past season. That is sensible. And you know, it, 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 you can see it based on his physical profile, his body of work, uh, what Florida is losing, where they're going to have to patch up. Uh, I do wonder if that's the role he's best suited for based on his length uh, and the way he gets off the line of scrimmage and attacks offensive linemen. Uh, part of me feels like he looks like an end with the way that he plays. Uh, but in Florida's defense, he physically makes a lot more sense to play inside where Dexter plays. So how Florida chooses to navigate that is going to be interesting to me. Uh, I think that if he's to remain on the interior of the line, he could probably benefit from being a little bit of a heavier player. Whereas, you know, 310 pounds off the edge is is for somebody who isn't, you know, lightning quick, it, it could be a little bit heavy. So I, I think that he's kind of in between the physical profiles of two different positions and what is intriguing to me is how Florida chooses to manufacture this player and put him in a position where he can help them most. So that will be something to follow as we get into our coverage of spring football, which is, it's crazy to even mention that uh, we just got through, you know, 13 weeks of college football and we still have one more game to cover, but uh, you know, something to keep an eye on. So remind us uh, in the comment section below uh, or over at swamp247.com. Graham, uh, what do you think Florida turns out to be? It's a broad question and it's early, but you know, based on the direction of having to make all of these replacements, both at the high school level, and they're going to bring in a huge transfer class. What, what does this team look like next year? You should, should people expect a huge jump? Will they need another kind of learning curve year? Will, will next year be the pseudo year one, you know, with so many new faces in the, in the building? What, what does this look like moving forward? That's a difficult question to answer, Jacob. I think that, like I said earlier here, a lot of it remains to be seen, but where it stands right now, Florida is looking at having a little bit more of a depleted spring than they had this year. And I think that that's a difficult thing to stomach for a lot of people who are expecting the Gators to make a similar jump in year two under Billy Napier that they, that he had the Louisiana program making where they go from seven and five to three consecutive double digit win seasons had preached patience there in his first year too, and then really took advantage of a lot of guys returning, more guys returning to that team in year two than Florida has right now. They didn't have as much attrition in Louisiana after year one, and that made it, I think, easier to implement and keep building on the, the foundation, continue installing things, have guys get a better understanding. I don't think it's any surprise that Florida's, some of their standouts this year Osiris Torrance, Montreal Johnson, 
those guys arrived with familiarity of what Billy Napier likes to do. And ideally you want to get a whole bunch of Montreal Johnson's and Osiris Torrance on your roster guys who have a deep understanding of comfortability and play confidently because of that. I'm not so certain right now that that is going to be uh, a realistic thing for Florida right now. It absolutely could happen, but what it would take is getting double digit transfers on campus in January, getting 12 to 15 early enrollee freshmen who arrive, and then you're getting 25 to 27 new faces in town. And if you can get that and get your numbers up into, you know, the, the 70s there with guys on campus, I'm a lot more confident that improvement is going to happen. But right now, they're in kind of a tenuous position where if they don't get an abundance, 25 plus guys on campus in January, they could be a little bit depleted in spring. And when that happens, I'm, I think the ceiling is lowered in terms of what you can expect next year. Obviously, offseason can make up for a lot of stuff and a good fall camp can absolutely raise that ceiling. But right now, not having an abundance of guys on campus in spring is, is going to be a concern. I, and it's something to watch over the next three weeks and even into signing day in February. So I, I think that if they can land guys and we'll see that come out here and play out over the next month, then I, I think a lot of those concerns will be alleviated. But right now they're in kind of a situation where based on the number of transfers, the guys departing the program and really where they're at with just one transfer portal addition, I know it's extremely early to be landing an abundance of commitments through the transfer portal and more guys are going to enter, not just at Florida, but at other programs that, you know, the landscape's going to get even more, I think, cluttered with high profile talent players. If you go out there and land those players from the end of December into the first couple weeks of January, then you're looking at a, a much more promising situation than Florida's dealing with right now. Right now uh, it's clear that they have their work cut out for them if they really want to improve and build upon the foundation of year one. I think it's really important to uh, well in advance of having to have season expectation conversations and, and really hard line laying those things out. So I'm talking like right now uh, to kind of set expectations for what year two in this model will look like. And I'll, I, I will start what I have to say with the conclusion that, uh, and that is that this is not a negative thing. I want to I want to set that uh, tone before I say what I'm going to say. I think Billy Napier is doing what he has to do, uh, and I think that it is from a strategic standpoint heading in the right direction at Florida. That being said, uh, when you have to replace 40% of your roster and 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 you know that many players on when you get to spring ball when you get to fall camp are new faces, you have put yourself as a coach, as a staff, in a position to be very similar from a result standpoint in year two as you had in year one. And the reason for that is because everybody has to learn everything new again. It is it is year one. You, you're The majority of the guys you're bringing in, or maybe not the majority, but, but a, a large percentage of the guys you're bringing in, you're expecting to contribute. So your contributors are year one players who have no experience either at your level of football or in and in your system, or and in your program, so it, it's a huge jump for a lot of guys. It's a big change, and there are growing pains that come with that. I think that Florida will look better, or should look better, I should say, uh, from a operation standpoint. I think that there will be a cleanliness to play 
there should be a cleanliness to play uh, that exists in 2023 that did not exist in 2022. Uh, the staff will have guys it recruited. Uh, they will be working with their players, which is all helpful and allows you to appear better, to appear cleaner. But I don't know that fans should go into next season thinking, all right, bad season out of the way. Let's win 10 games. That's crazy. Uh, especially with the amount of you know attrition and replacement that Florida is doing now and will have to continue to do uh, as we get deeper into the offseason. That's just the reality. Uh, and, and that being said, to reiterate, I do think that that's a good thing. I think that this program was in need of a hard reset. Uh, I think that they were able to accomplish some of that, arguably not enough of that, prior to year one. Uh, this offseason, it is clear that Florida is being very aggressive in the direction of rebuild. Uh, you don't get rid of this many players if that isn't your intention. Uh, and again, that's a positive. I think Billy Napier sees what needs to happen uh, and 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 good for, for good or bad is executing his plan. He is doing what he said he would do uh, and that counts for something. So uh, my moral of the story here is yes, uh, it could be a long road to get back to where Florida fans uh, want this program, need this program to be and they where they deserve it to be. Uh, and I think that the process that that Billy Napier has kind of set foot on here, the path is a longer one. And, and fans should be uh, aware of that, you know, going into each and every turn. So you kind of know what to expect. That's just my uh, two cents on it. And with that, uh, and you can interrupt me if I'm wrong, I think I think that should do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. That about covers it. Any, any final words from you? No, it's just going to be very interesting to see this, this one-time thing where you're going in with a depleted roster, but it's a kind of a showcase for the guys who are going to be here ne next year. I think that this game has a chance to maybe alter the perspective a little bit. If someone shows out or players play at a comparable level who were kind of, you know, reserve playmakers through the rest of the year. If that happens, I think that we're having a much more positive conversation here. And, and we'll obviously be back for another episode of the podcast after the bowl game, as well as break down the bowl game tomorrow. So make sure you check that out. But I think that this transfer portal conversation can be altered a little bit based on what happens on Saturday. And to me, that's just extremely intriguing because rarely do you get to, I think, change your perspective based on one game. And this kind of has a chance to do just that. Well, there you go. Uh, that now will officially do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Uh, we thank you for tuning in and for sticking with us as we as we kind of took that little hiatus uh, from the show. We're excited to be back, uh, and we're going to hit you with a lot of content now. we got this show uh, that you're now at the end of here. Uh, we have our Oregon State Las Vegas Bowl preview uh, coming up this week as well uh, to get everybody ready for Florida's uh, Las Vegas Bowl game against a ranked Beavers team. Uh, again, like Graham said, should be an interesting contest just given Florida's depth situation uh, and the fact that Oregon State's quite good this year. Uh, so stay tuned for that and you know, a whole bunch more content, like we always say, over at swamp247.com, where again, I will remind you we are running a promotion right now, 50% uh, off for an annual VIP subscription at Swamp247, plus you get Paramount Plus uh, as a part of a bundle, and it's hard to say no to uh, that kind of a deal. So I would urge you to take advantage uh, and join us over on the website. Uh, say hi to us on the message board. Got the most active community in the Florida Gators network. Uh, and that'll do it. Thank you for again for listening to this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. We'll see you next time. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. 
Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.